0: Thanks for downloading the Marcus Pie
1: podcast. Welcome to the Marcus Pie podcast on historicracingnews.com. This episode brought to you by lemongcoupes.com. Visit lemongcoupes.com to see the range of iconic sports and race cars manufactured with the original designs of the 1960s. Uh, we've caught up with Peter Snowden. Who's the new director responsible for racing at the Aston Martin Owners Club? Uh, also with David Hinton, who's president of Historic Sports Racing HSR, uh, the event promoter of, for Historic Racing in the States. Uh, that's an interesting uh, uh, interlude. I'm delighted to be joined by Peter Snowden from the Aston Martin Owners Club. So you've been involved with Aston Martin's all your life, and uh, it's become an abiding passion, clearly
0: pretty well Marcus yeah I would say um yeah far too long probably one way of looking at it <laughs> yes it's been a long time over 40 years now as a member and probably been involved would well, you say all my life so that's uh, well it's 56 years isn't it one way or the other <laughs> let's be honest so tell us how you first became involved with Aston Martin's your abiding passion well within the club it was very simple my father was very involved in, in motorsport uh, he was an observer and clerk of the course at Grand Prix's back in the 50s 60s Had always been involved in that way uh, my grandfather had an Aston uh, pre-war Aston, back in the thirties, forties, and uh, and Dad ended up buying a, a DB4 Vantage in 1972. We bought it, or he bought it, the night before the St. John Horsewell meeting, and we drove to it uh, the next day in in the DB4, because um, it was a, a nine-year-old car then. Was it revered as a classic, or just an old car? No, because I think that they were still they were still obviously sort of making. Um, well, the V8s were coming in then, but in so, DB6 was still the same sort of shape, so it wasn't uh, it wasn't radically different. Um, and it was a it was a DB4 Vantage in Caribbean Pearl. It was a great color, absolutely. Um, and it was uh, um, I mean, everything's all DB5 and Silver Birch now, isn't it? But that was a it was a blue one, unheard of. I guess you're very fortunate because your parents being involved, uh, you
1: just kind of grew with it, didn't you? You kind of went with the flow and uh, followed their
0: passion. Well, they were. Um, Dad, Dad was a great believer in grassroots motorsport. Um, particularly, so they ran uh, the Kerbera Sprints meetings for the Aston Club for 39 years actually, back to back uh, two meetings a year and uh, Dad Dad always believed in in the grassroots side of stuff, being literally put a timing strut on the front, which he objected to anyway, because that was changing the car but putting a number on the side with the man with the white Paint and putting the number on the side of the car and getting people to come out and literally take their spare wheel and tools out the back of the car in your DB6 or your DB5 or 4. And, of course, the 1950s cars were very prevalent then, a lot of them about the 2.4s and all that sort of, Mark 3s and DB2s. Um, and getting people out and, and come and have a go was the idea. And if you built up to circuit racing, then that was great was his idea. And he maintained that, uh, and he, was, he ended up being vice president of the Aston Club uh, right until, until his death five years ago.
1: You've raced lots of Aston Martins too, which is very special to
0: you. Would you have a favourite among them? Oh, crikey, I knew you'd swing that one on me. Um, yes, lots of um, lots of DB4 lightweights, which, of course, was never an official factory car, but it was a interpretation of uh, what the factory had. The factory racing department continued to develop cars in the early 60s with their road car. I homologated it rather than the project cars they had. Um, it was what Richard Williams thought they would do and so it was his interpretation of had the car he'd worked there at the time. So phenomenal cars, um, you know, four hundred brake horsepower, um, and just under a thousand kilos. And, you know, as Jerry Marshall said at the time, what's not to like. it was just ridiculously quick, uh, great fun, but very, very pliable, well, very, uh, very balanced car, lots of them. I've raced uh, a good handful of those. Um Of course, the the modern cars, the N24 when it first came out, which shows my age because it's now called a V8 Vantage or a GT4 car, but it was an N24 when it came out 12 years ago, Marcus. Can you believe that? I know, (laughs) 2007, remember, tetting it at Goodwood. Uh, So I raced that in the N-British GT, ultimately. Um, And then, of course, more latterly, we've raced the DB2 last couple of years in the um, RAC Woodcutt Trophy, uh, which has been my baptism of fire, learning about um, things like drum brakes. Uh, which took me half a season to even find any. For most small
1: boys, uh, driving a racing car somewhere fantastic uh, is uh, just a dream. You've driven the DB2 at Spa. Uh, that's uh,
0: absolutely awesome. Uh, what are your memories of that? It is phenomenal. It was uh, the Motor Racing Legends series. was It was a great series. It is a great series, and they've got some really nice events. So you have um, Donington Historic Festival to start with, um, and then the Thruxton fiftieth, as it was now. Historic motorsport celebration, Silverton Classic, support to the Spa Six Hour, and then a two. There are one-hour races, then a two-hour race in the Algarve Classic, uh, which is great. And it's uh, you say it's just. Um, and those cars ran in period there anyway. Obviously, Spa was a, a slightly longer circuit in those days, but the Algarve uh, racing uh, into the night is crazy. in Fifties cars uh, with fifties <laughs> headlights. I hasten to add.
1: Where does the Aston Martin Owners Club sit regarding modifying old cars?
0: Well, obviously you've got you've got to put safety first. is the most most important thing. So obviously we are allowed roll cages and correct modern seats and belts and whatever. Uh, but I do think you need to keep the cars uh, as original as possible. Um, we actually tried to run LED lights at um, the Algarve Classic, and uh, it was spotted in qualifying or spotted actually before qualifying, and we were told uh, remove them and you're not allowed them for the race. So um, I think that's quite. I think it's a good thing to be honest. Um, I wanted to be able to see where we were going, which is not unreasonable. I thought as a driver. Uh, in somebody else's car, which is not mine, uh, but apparently no, that I have to be exactly as period. So um, yeah, interesting. But obviously we have modern overalls and things like that, and obviously safety on fuel lines and stuff like that has to be paramount. But yeah, they should be they should be as close to period as possible. On that subject, you um, you raced a Lotus Cortina uh, a few years ago, over twenty years ago, Marcus. Yeah, quite scarily, um, mid mid late nineties. Yes, Historic Touring Car Championship with it uh, twice.
1: Those Lotus Cortinas are now four or five seconds a lap quicker than when the great
0: Jim Clark drove them at Goodwood. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? It's a difficult one. I mean, that's, that's largely down to people like Mike Jordan and his company doing that. And Mike's a great engineer, and I can't blame them for doing what they've done. Um, it, it's, it's, it, it, it's a mixed feeling on that one, Mark, because you, you look at them. And it's absolutely fantastic what they've done, and they, they are engineered properly. But are they as they were in period? No, not at all. Not at all. They're probably safer if I'm in accident now, but are they original? I don't know. Um it's 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 a it's a double edged sword, that one.
1: In your new role as director responsible for racing with the
0: AMOC, what are your views on uh evolution, development of cars? Um uh, not initially for now, maybe 2021, 22. I know that sounds a, a way off yet, but um I've I've said all along since we took this on late autumn um sort of late october early early november that it would be a transition year uh, 2020 um we have to to reestablish uh, running a club these days promoting is very very expensive circuit hire etc has gone through the roof um if you look at the numbers of what it takes to run a, a day as a standalone meeting or as a club it's phenomenal then you start breaking that down into per minute and not getting cars on a grid, you can suddenly see how, how very, very easy it is to actually make a loss. Not run a meeting. Running a meeting is quite easy. Making a loss is even easier. So that's why we're doing this year just one year, for the, sorry, one meeting this year. Uh, and then a series of uh, out rounds, placing our series at different uh, venues because uh, it's far more economical, whilst we rebuild. So I've got a, I'm going to say a three to five, probably a two to five year plan uh, just to keep keep as many opportunities out there this year for our competitors to race. Uh, and then and then rebuild it, and hopefully we can get back to, it would be nice to think we could run three meetings in 2021.
1: The club's changed immeasurably in recent years and has gone through quite a few metamorphoses. How's that all come about?
0: Um, well, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, as I said, promoting meetings costs cost a great deal of money running, running the actual day. Um, quite naturally, the, the club, uh, and the membership in particular, don't want... Their membership subscriptions to be used uh, against um a racing for a few elites mostly in the uk which is completely understandable so we had to try and make it to sort of ring fence it make it stand alone uh, that was trialed nine years ago with a with a company that that didn't really work out that brilliantly so we've had to reset it the last two or three years. We took um Duncan Wilcher and his great team at Motor Racing Legends on board to do that. Uh, and Duncan's done done a great job, but it's time to, to move on and put it more not so much in house but it is with the club, not, not financially in-house. We've got to have external um, resources to do that, income to do it. Uh, but Duncan's got, uh, got his big things like, obviously, Donnington Historic Festival and big meetings to do. Uh, so he's handed the reins over to us. And uh, it's, uh, it's a kind of like a semi-reset, if you like. Just try and, do it, um, try and do it a new way if we can. In a changing
1: marketplace, is there truly room for clubs like AMOT to still promote their own race meetings?
0: I think there is, and I think, I think actually quite the reverse. That um, I think there's a great opportunity for, for that to happen now with uh, small clubs, uh, do it properly. Um, you've just got to have a different way of looking at it. Um, so just, for instance, things like, um, I, I do think it's not a great deal about running Aston Martins anymore, sadly. There's not a massive amount of those out there in the historic world anyway, because of so few made. But I think it is about, if you want to continue a club promoting events, yes, we can, um, the typical Aston Martin driver now tends to drive to his race meetings in his Aston and then race another make of car. It's not about driving, racing Astons anymore. Those days have gone. So we've got we've got to adapt to that, and that's fine. That's what that's what we do. Um For instance, things like the the GT series uh, has been closed with a close to Dunlop tyres only the last few years, and that that doesn't really incentivise somebody to come and try a forty five fifty minute race when you've got to buy a set of slicks and a set of wets, which suddenly sets you back a few thousand pounds, to do a toe-in-the-water exercise where you may or may not like it, and people are going to try and do that. So this year I've opened up the regulations to say, yes, it's a a slick tyre, but it can be other makes as well. So that way we might attract the Porsches, we've got the Cayman GT4 cars, then we can start to fill the grid. Because once we've got um, the grids full, then we start to be more profitable. And It's all about making the money to reinvest it, be able to buy the circuit deposits for next year which we've got to start doing this summer already for 2021. I guess now you have to take a view that profit is everything. Uh is that is that true? It's a, it's a very good question Marcus. Um it is difficult when I, when I first went to the the committee management of the board back in uh, beginning of November I did say to them that uh, with my family history I'm going I'm going to be the last person that wants to say AMOP racing is dead. It's not going to happen. Of course I don't want to do that. But you've got to separate head from heart. Heart says, yes, I'd like it to continue. We've got a, a great history. I would like that to continue. But also it's got to make money. Or it's got more to point, it's got to survive and more to the point. It doesn't need to be a massive profit making organisation, like a grown up business in that sense, but it needs not to cost the club, let alone the membership, any money. So if it can wash its own face, that's absolutely fine. Uh, so that, that's, that's what we're aiming for. But it, it is difficult sometimes because the emotion goes, oh, wouldn't it be nice to see you know, a paddock full of DB3Ss again? But it's not going to happen, sadly.
1: Is the uh, escalating value of cars detrimental to uh, the racing ethos of the club?
0: I don't think so per se, because you've only got to look at somewhere like Goodwood or Silverton Classic. You know, the cars are out there. Um, perhaps some of the more genuinely historic cars... Uh, things like uh, Aston DP212. Of course, there's only one ever built, and that's worth multi-millions now. How many of the E-Types and Cobras that are racing, how much? How many of those are actually real now? They're not their continuations or replicas. And, and there's a place for that. That's absolutely great. Um, but I th- And certainly not at club level. I don't think people are going to want to bring cars out for club meetings uh, that are worth multi-millions of pounds. We had the reverse uh, a few years ago when we had it, six years ago now, the 2013 anniversary of so the uh, 100 years of Aston Martin. We had a great meeting at Silverstone. Everybody got, bu- sorry, Brands Hatch. Everybody got buoyed up by two day support. We had, you know, Lord Drayson out in a DB4 GT and Tom Alexander with his GT and lots of lovely cars out and it was great. Uh, but you knew because it was all tagged onto it was the 100 years of Aston Martin and great support from the factory. But it's a one off and we've got to wait another 100 years for that and we won't be around to see that.
1: <laughs> You've raced many cars. I mean, driving some very special ones must have given you a few scary moments down
0: the years. It, it, as well you know, Marcus, it comes with a responsibility. Um, and yes, and sometimes it's it's, it's the value uh, of the cars. It does make you think. We had a, an incident of well, 10 odd years ago at uh, Snetterdam before it was re, um, reconfigured uh, with a, a very valuable Aston, as in DP212, worth probably, I don't know, 15, 20 million or something at the time, potentially. Uh, and it, uh, let's just say the back end stepped away at a point of the circuit you wouldn't want it to do. And it was the beginnings of uh, rear suspension failure. Mercifully not terminal at the time, but enough to enough to pit directly, shall we say. And it included the day. And it's one of those things where you just think, there by the grace of, etc. another lap and maybe not. And it's uh, uh, my old mentor, Colin Blower, who had a number of, uh, he was running that car at the time, and had a number of great phrases I learned, one of which was, I've never yet met an owner that's thanked me for damaging his car. <laughs> Which so I thought it was a great line, whether it was a workshop or on the track, and I thought, yeah, it's just always remember that.
1: Le Mans coupés are the only manufacturer that can produce both road and FIA HTP spec GT40s with GT40P chassis numbers. All cars are factory-built to the original designs, and our race cars are eligible for international competition. We also produce road and race Cobras and Corvette Grand Sports. Find iconic 60s sports and race cars at lemondcoupes.com. You had an important meeting with potential competitors recently, and that's the lifeblood
0: of the club. It was. We did uh, just just a month ago, um, and then a sort of tour around the works at the factory, the, the Aston Martin works at Newport Pagnell, So a good spiritual place to have have such a meeting, and it was an open floor uh, Q and A bit as well. But presenting to uh, the competitors, uh, had a lunch night as well. That uh, where we are, how it's come about, so they understand, not just sort of getting on the great final paddock gossip. Uh, and then also, what do you want to do? This, you know, this is your club. It's You You want to go racing. What do you guys want to do? And within reason, we will facilitate that as much as we can. Uh, but we can't pull rabbits out of the hat because it costs X amount. So let's explain why it costs X amount. So you understand, because they're all clever people that made the money elsewhere in Corinda to be able to afford to race these lovely cars in the first place. So, um, you know, they're, they're, they're grown up people. And you
1: came to some uh, very positive conclusions out of that?
0: Very much so. It was uh, there was a great positivity from the floor. People really wanted to see some changes. But the big thing was that supporting uh, AMOC Racing, that's what they really wanted to do. Um, it's it's slightly different to uh, some other clubs, uh, neither better nor worse. It's just got a lot of history. And there's always been a great atmosphere in the paddock about AMOC meetings uh, as, as well. You know, Mark, you've been to enough of them and you've commentated on some with us. Um and that was coming back last year, which was really good. I think Snetterdon in particular uh, was a really good meeting. And, and quite a few people said it had a feel of um, of the older days, even, even five, ten years before, which we had lost a bit of direction. I'm not really quite sure why, um, but it's a, it, it's a broad church, MOC. We've got to run it for, uh, as I say, the most likely to run Aston's are the GT4 series. Uh, then we've got the GT Challenge. Uh, we've got Intermark and we've got our 50s and 60s. So we've got our, our Jack Fairman Cup and then the Innes Island Cup. We've just changed the regulation on that again for, for 2020. There'd been a cap put in a few years ago of up to three litre capacity. So uh, I've removed that for this year so we can get E-types and things back in again. Uh, Falcons, all those nice big cars as well. And we don't want to take it away from anybody else. And I think that's possibly one of the problems. that There are so many series out there uh, as well. You know, you you report on it enough that you you've got to you've got to make it more of an appeal to people to say what why do I want to come to AMOC and run with eight cars you don't you want to run with 25 cars you know I want I want, I want to see a grid when it's under 20 and us be getting annoyed because it's only 19 cars not we made 19 cars we've got to have a different way of looking at it we've got to we've got to broaden the appeal for everybody
1: 2020 is going to be a really important season for AMOC. Uh, what will success look like
0: Well, success is is, as many opportunities for our competitors to race their cars, the membership, where they want to, as we can, at various places. We've got the Jack Fairman Cup and Innes Island Cup now pretty well full. They've got six meetings, I believe, this year now. Uh, We've got our own standalone one meeting at the moment for 3rd of October, which will be the traditional St. John Fall season finale, Silverton National, 3rd of October, put it in your diary. Uh, We're negotiating for another date at Snetterton more Late spring, early summer, maybe sort of June time, trying to just work on that one at the moment. Um, but in terms of going forward for 2021, um, we want to be in a position. It's all, it, The way this works is quite soon in a season, you need to start getting dates for the following season. And obviously, those that can pay and pay deposits and all that get first dibs. It's quite natural, that's business. Uh, so we want to be in a nice, strong position financially with people having entered, and that's where all the money comes from, where the profits to reinvest any money we've got, any profit into securing good dates for 2021 and that's uh, i was already even talking to a circuit yesterday about 2021 already when i haven't even got a grid for them for 2020 which is <laughs> slightly odd <laughs> but we're trying to work ahead peter snowden director of
1: thank you so much for your time and good luck thank you marcus and I look forward to seeing you at one of our circuits or our meetings this year well having heard from peter let's go international now and hear from hsr president david hinton
2: David, HSR had a fantastic year last year, and uh, that I was privileged to be part of that later in the year. Uh, looking forward
3: to 2020? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've got one new event we've added this year. Um, for 2020, we're going to go to Watkins Glen with a Masters series. Um, Masters is bringing the historic Formula One, and their endurance legends, and they had some extra track time available. So I'm going to bring our, our Group 5 production car group up there, Corvettes, E-Types, 911 Porsches, that kind of car, so we're very excited about that. Um, The remaining schedule is the same as 2019, so uh, hopefully it'll be as good as 2019, if not better. The, The
2: HSR principle is very much about getting as many different sorts of cars in as you possibly can, and that seems to be working very well.
3: Yeah, we try and cover all the bases we figure any any car we've got to try and find a home for it um to to be eligible for podiums and points for our championship the car has to be five years or older so you can't show up with a brand new car and you know win the race and win the championship so we do have you know a a little bit of a rule there where it has to be five years or older but um you know these present-day professional cars you know they're extinct within two years so they need somewhere to go and it helps I think, keep the racing economy going if the vintage groups offer homes to these retired GT and prototype cars. It gives the teams then the money to go out and buy the latest, greatest uh, current race car.
2: Looking back at some of the races that you had this year, particularly Daytona, of course, you had some absolutely brilliant cars at that race in
3: 2019. Yeah, our featured group was Group E, um, and we had two Audi R8s, three Pescarolas. Um, you know, it, it was kind of mind-blowing what showed up. Um, we haven't figured out why. <laughs> <laughs> it was just one of those lucky years, I think. Um, but no, I mean, across all the groups, we had some great cars, you know, the Lolas in Group A, um, and, you know, finally at 9.35, finished the whole weekend in Group B. Um, so no, it was, a uh, Daytona was a great event. Sebring, we had, uh, I think it was nine uh, vintage aircraft parked in the paddock, which is including a P-51 Mustang. So that was a special weekend. And in 2019, we did something totally different. We organized a road rally where we everybody met in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and we spent four days driving the mountains of Tennessee and North Carolina in streetcars. These are all HSR members, racers, who own very nice cars on the street and they all came together and did four days. Stayed did some beautiful old lodges up in the mountains of North Carolina. I ate at great restaurants. So uh, that sold out in 24 hours uh, in 2019, and we've already got the same amount of entrance for 2020's uh, Ridge Runner Rally. So uh, we kind of broaden our rises a little bit with what we do, not just, you know, on-track activity, but we're doing some stuff off-track, including Retromobile.
2: With those kind of uh on road events rather than on track events. Is that people bringing their their daily driver or what sort of cars are you having there?
3: Uh, we had a whole array. We had a couple of people show up with like uh, brand new Porsche GT3 RSs, whatever. And we went all the way back to people showing up with, you know, XK Jags, E-Types, uh, 3-litre CSL. So we, we had a whole array of cars. And we opened up, you can bring whatever you want. You know, it's about the people as well as the cars, you know, we, we kind of, I wouldn't say handpicked the entrance, but we uh, we monitored who was invited and who wasn't, shall we say. Yeah,
2: so clearly with that you can have a lot of fun. As a petrol head, and I know you are a petrol head, that you're going to some of the greatest circuits in the world, not only in the United States, and that must be a big buzz for you.
3: Oh yeah, yeah, I know uh, some, some great tracks we get to visit, so... Uh, we were just talking about Spa and some of the classic European tracks and i uh, been lucky enough to, to go to those circuits myself but in, in the US we have some fantastic tracks and, and also we go across the border with H M S A to Canada to Mont-Tremblant which is an old Can-Am and Formula 1 track from the 60s and early 70s and that place is just breathtaking and the, the surrounding area is one of the prettiest places in Canada I'm sure.
2: Now I, I know that you're a very busy man with HSR and, and everything that you're you're doing there, but that's not your only involvement in motorsport, is it? That you're you're spending time as well preparing and and acquiring and selling cars as well.
3: Yeah, I think I have the disease, I guess you call it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I have a, a, a shop called Heritage Motorsport. Um, I have about 15 clients um, with different cars ranging from. BMW CSLs, Porsche 911s, uh, E-Type Jags, uh, Ford Falcon, and then we go all the way up to Lola T70s, McLaren M1Bs, so we're kind of all over the place. Um, we do about 15 events a year, mostly in America, but uh, 2020, we're gonna bring a couple of clients to Le Mans Classic, maybe Spa. Uh, myself, I'm a big Jaguar person, uh, kind of E-Type, XK, that kind of stuff and I was lucky enough a year ago to find an old uh, Series 1 E-Type Coupe which raced Sebring uh, four times and Daytona 24 hours three times back in the 60s so I almost finished restoring it, Uh, Bill Warner from Amelia Island Concourse invited me to debut it there in March so as soon as I get home from here I'll be back to the grind uh, screwing the car back together (laughs) With
2: with those kind of things are you obviously with the E-Type that's a tear it down and put it back together again with the other cars that you prepare how much work is there to take that to a racetrack is it is it about tidying it up or is it a complete rebuild
3: Um, so we every once in a while we build a car from scratch Uh, in 2019 we built two 911 uh, RS spec Porsches from scratch you know take a street tub strip it all the way down and build it up Um, but most of the other cars it's just maintenance um, unless Have an unfortunate accident we have to do body repairs but most of the the clients were just maintaining their cars you know they'll do a weekend and then you know just have a checklist check over the car and get ready for the next one
2: and and you're you're developing those cars i'm always intrigued by how much work people will do to fine-tune a historic race car and how much the view is that's what it was like in 1966 so that's how it stays
3: yeah um we're not governed by the FIA, so we don't have HTP papers. So cars have been modified a lot more over the years than they have been in Europe. And the gene is too far out the bottle to bring it back to where they were when they were first built. So we've kind of got to deal with what we've got. We're trying to keep a grasp on it, keep a hold on it, so they don't get developed too much. And, uh, because obviously, when you develop a car, you spend a lot more money than the guy next to you can afford to spend. Yeah. So that's it's a bit of a problem we've got to kind of watch. And some of these guys are spending fifty, sixty thousand dollars 60000 on a three-liter 911 engine now, yeah. which, which is getting crazy. Yeah. So um, I think the HTP thing works very well in Europe, but it doesn't work for us because it's just too far gone. As you say, the genie's out of yeah. the bottle. and yeah. I think the
2: classic probably, you talk about the t 70 they are far quicker now than they ever were in period. Oh, yeah. uh, in, and, and not only quicker, quicker, but in relation to other cars as well. I mean, a, a T70 could not have lived with a 917, for example, in period, on most circuits at least.
3: Whereas now they're right up there yes and there's only seven sorry there's only 35 of the original 17 built left <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah that's uh, that's unfortunately the way, the world we live in now but 2020 is going to be going to be good for you and, and clearly you're you're full of uh, excitement for everything both in heritage motorsport and in in terms of hsr
3: yeah no i think we've got a great team uh you know uh with all our staff at HSR, they all work very hard and all very dedicated. And, uh, you know, we just keep doing what we're doing. I think we're on the right track. Events seem to be growing in the right direction, which is wonderful. So uh, now stick at it. Excited for 2020.
2: Well, we're uh, we're looking forward to working with you in 2020 on historicracingnews.com as well. Uh, David Hinton, thank you for your time. And uh, we'll look forward to keeping in touch with all the news as and when it breaks. All right. Thank you, Paul.
1: Well, that's really inspired me to go back to the States. I've not been for 20 years. I actually raced at Daytona last time I was there with HSR, in fact, in the year 2000. Uh, but I'd love to get over for one of those end-of-season uh, enduro meetings and uh, sample the Therillian atmosphere for myself. Well, that just about wraps up this uh, this week's podcast, brought to you by Le Uh If you like what you heard, please tell your friends. Uh, or you can come back to us with ideas for the future, topics you'd perhaps like to uh, uh, have us look at, and you can go to podcast at historicracingnews.com to uh, leave your views. Thanks very much.